should be holy and when our conduct is holy then we have this godliness attribute that comes out which is the likeness of God that God shares his personality his passions his way of living in the world he shares it with us and then as he shares it with us we in turn share that same way of being out into the world As followers of Jesus, we're called to live a different life than the people who don't know the Savior. This doesn't mean we develop our own persona. Pastor Daniel will tell us today that we have a model for this new life, Jesus, the one we're following. His life shows us how we should interact with others and what we should prioritize. As we develop the same characteristics as Jesus, other people will notice and likely want to know more. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, The Truth About the End, in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uncle John was well known to be like the tough guy, like he was going to like give me a talking to about marrying his niece. And so after the second time, I get all the lowdown on Uncle John, and I'm like, oh, I know this type of guy. I mean, I'm an Italian from New Jersey. Every guy's like this. So then two more people are like, well, have you talked to Uncle John yet? And finally, I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to wait for Uncle John to come to me. I'm going to go to Uncle John because I'm from New Jersey, and so I'm dumb, you know? And so, so sure enough, I grab Lynn. I'm like, where's Uncle John? She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, don't worry about it. And she's like, he's right over there, and he's talking with all these other aunts and uncles. And so me being me, I go up to Uncle John, I sit on his lap, I give him a big, hairy, wet kiss. And I say, hey, Uncle John, my name is Daniel, I just got engaged to your niece, Lynn. And Uncle John was shell-shocked. It was like he was off his game, you know, and he didn't know what to do. And he was just kind of looking at me, and I'm like, I heard you wanted to talk to me. And he kind of put himself together, and then he gave me a good talking to, and I was happy that he did that. But the beauty is, is I ruined his moments. Because I didn't wait till he was ready. I'm just like, I'm going to preempt this thing. And you can imagine, okay, I mean, to this day, me and Uncle John, we'd be good. You know what I mean? Because I know no one's ever handled Uncle John in that way. But I had the element of surprise, right? It's a good story, isn't it? You can just imagine this, right? It happened. Now, I share this with you because when Jesus comes back, there's that element of surprise where he's going to come back at a moment nobody expects. So no one's going to be like, well, I'm prepared for it and I'm ready for it. And I know Jesus is coming back today. Now, I know you all, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard all these people who know exactly when Jesus is coming back. Guess what? They be lying. They may think that they're right, but Jesus tells us nobody knows. Jesus didn't. He couldn't even tell his disciples when he was going to come back. There's an unexpected reality to this, and it comes as a thief in the night. But because you realize that Jesus' return is unexpected, then we start to say, if Jesus is going to come back at a moment I don't expect, then what do I do? How do I live? Now, before we leave this idea of Jesus coming unexpectedly, it is important that we realize when Jesus comes back that in his second coming, as we call it, I want you to notice what will happen. In the middle of verse 10, it says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, 
both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, we've already established a little bit earlier in 2 Peter chapter 3 that, that the second coming, the final judgment, will involve fire. But now we realize that the heavens and the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up. So you have to get this because this gives you a proper way to frame our lives. Most of the stuff's going to burn. I don't want to be a downer because I think you hear that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, everything's rubbish. It's all garbage. But in some ways, it really is. I think we have a tendency to hold on to these things, pretending that there's something that they're not. But when you have the perspective that, hey, you know this thing that you just love and you're so passionate about? Is it eternal? It doesn't mean you don't still enjoy it, but you have to put it in the proper perspective. The Bible teaches that there are three eternal things. There's God, there's people, and there's the word of God. Everything else is temporary. And when you realize that everything else is temporary, you begin to hold it in a different way. You can still enjoy these things. But like, let me tell you, the Seahawks are temporary. They are. There ain't going to be like, you know, in heaven, like, Seahawks are playing on Sunday. Let's skip church. You know, like, that's not going to go on in heaven. You know what I mean? And so I'm not saying we don't enjoy the Seahawks. Of course we enjoy the Seahawks. Unless you don't. Because you'd be hating. And we know there's some of you here at Crossroads, but because of Jesus, we don't kill you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You guys, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a New York Giants fan. So anyway, another note. But when we realize that a lot of the things that we get ourselves anxious about, worked up about, they're all temporary. It changes the way we hold them. See, we have to make sure that we hold the most important things in the most important ways. And Jesus' return is unexpected. And this heaven and this earth and the works that are contained within it are going to be burned. They're not going to survive. But then Peter moves from there in verse 11 and says this, therefore. You notice that word, therefore? Yeah, you guys know I love that word, right? When you see the word therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? You can read any book that way, not just the Bible. But when you read the word therefore, it's a concluding statement. Now, because... Jesus comes back and he's coming. It's going to be unexpected, right? And all the heavens and all the earth and all the works that are in it are going to be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. See, Peter says, because this is happening, since these things are going to be dissolved, since it's all going to be dissolved by fire, it's all going to be burned up and burning heat, what manner of persons ought you to be? And here's my answer to that. You guys ready? Be who you should be. Be who you should be. See, you put the perspective that it's all going to burn, that this stuff is temporary. What manner of persons ought we to be? We should be the people we should be. And Peter tells us what kind of people we should be. Look at what it says. It says, in holy conduct and godliness. There it is. The person you and I should be is a person who is holy in conduct and someone who is godly. 
This is who we should be. Given the information we have, because we know that the end is coming and it's happening in a moment we don't expect and all this stuff's going to burn, now we live this way. Holy conduct. That word holy literally means to be set apart or to be deemed as sacred. It's one of the favorite words and most oft-repeated phrase in the book of Leviticus. I know all of your favorite books of the Bible, right? Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. See, the idea is that God is not common. God is unique and God is set apart. And when God calls you and I to follow Jesus, he calls us to be set apart, to live in such a way that is distinct and unique from the world in which we live. Holy conduct is simply responding to Jesus in a way that makes you different. But here's the thing. For most of us, we're not different. And I'm not talking about like different weird. I mean, like some of us are different weird and we kind of wear it as a calling card and you got to work with what you got. But we're talking about being set apart from this world for the things of God. And unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century has lost an idea of what it means to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Where we think that if we just visit church or put in our time, that now all of a sudden that means that we're different. No, it's what you do with the information you receive and the fellowship you have at church. That's where life is lived. See, if there is 1,440 minutes in a day, and you take 80 of them on a Sunday to be at church, that's not going to change your life unless the stuff that you hear now finds its way not from just your head to your heart, but from your heart out to your hands and your feet and your calendar and your checkbook or your online banking, you know? Like, we want to live this stuff out. We don't just want to hear this stuff and be like, yeah, that was a funny sermon or that was cool or yeah, we're almost done with Second Peter or... I got me a new little biblical nugget there, you know, the therefore, what's it there for? But God's interested in us learning how to live. And the person we should be because of who Jesus is, is that we should be holy. Our conduct, I mean, even think about that word. The idea is our lives should be holy. It's we're set apart. We're set apart from the world toward God. That's what it means. We're set apart from the world towards God. And I'm not saying that, okay, this is not like one of those like, well, you guys got to get better messages. Because I actually don't believe that left up to our own devices, we can get better. I mean, you can change things in your life, but what Jesus is interested in is us being so enraptured and tied by the spirit to the finished work of Jesus that now as we approach our days, we approach it with a whole different set of criteria for what success is. Like if you were to ask somebody, who do you think is a successful person? You will understand what their core values are depending on who they pick, right? Because like, how do you define success? There's the world's way of defining success. There's all these different ways. But then there's God's ways of defining success. Like the greatest in my kingdom is the servant of all. You know, when was like, who was the most successful person? Well, the poor in spirit, the least of these, the most humble servant that nobody knows about. We never choose that, but that's what God chooses. That's what God vows. And I think what happens is, is that when we choose to respond to Jesus, 
in the ways that we live, now all of a sudden, as God is, we begin to make different sets of decisions. So our conduct should be holy. And when our conduct is holy, then we have this godliness attribute that comes out, which is the likeness of God, that God shares his personality, his passions, his way of living in the world. He shares it with us. And then as he shares it with us, we in turn share that same way of being out into the world. So when I say be who you should be, it's not who we were before we came to know Jesus, but who we are in Christ. The new identity that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but every day when I wake up, I say, Lord, I want that. Because I realize how much of like the old Daniel still is in me. Even though I have a brand new life of Christ, it's like that's still like old, you know, like, you know, zombie Daniel. You know, he's been reckoned dead to Jesus, but he still kind of hangs around every once in a while. Old ways of thinking and old ways of acting and old ways of doing. You guys understand what I'm talking about here? I don't think I'm alone in this, but I want to be who I should be. I want Jesus to make me like him. This reminds me, of course, of Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, we had a great example of this just in our home. I love to tell stories about my Obadiah and my Annabelle because, well, Obadiah's, he's Obadiah and Annabelle, she's nuts, you know? And I, people say to me, they say, well, why don't you talk about Maranatha? I'm like, well, because Maranatha is like the most solid person I've ever met. She's nine years old. I mean, like when I say Maranatha solid, I mean like Maranatha is solid. Like she gives great parenting advice. And I'm here to tell you, if you want parenting advice, talk to Maranatha. She gives me and Lynn parenting advice and she's right. Like she'll come and be like, dad, I don't think you handled that so well. Really? Why not? Well, you should have done this and this and this. I'm like, you're totally right. Where were you before I put my foot in my mouth? I just, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll try better next time, dad. You know, like Maranatha's my, she's my perfectionist child. So like where it's like, unless she gets like a perfect grade, it all is lost. And because she gets the perfect grade so often, because she's so solid, that when things go a little weird, she loses it a little bit, you know? So, but let me tell you the story. So Maranatha has, you know, like those little, they're like little games in like supermarkets where you put in your quarters and they have the little claws. And you know, those things are designed so you'd never get anything. Yeah, yeah. So Maranatha like wants to get one of these things for Annabelle. And that's, see, that's how solid Maranatha is. She doesn't want it for herself. She wants to give it to Annabelle. So, I mean, I just want to slap her around and be like, will you get evil a little bit? You know, she's so nice, you know, just love this. I don't really want her to be evil. You know what I mean? It's like, she's just so good, you know? And so she wants this thing for me. So every day we go in there and she's like, oh, I forgot my wallet, you know, and this and that. And, you know, and Lynn and I try and dissuade Maranatha from wasting her money on such things. You know, I'm like, no, those things are designed. You actually, you know, you don't catch them very much. They make money. So it's like, that's how it works, you know. And so, but she's like, well, if God wants me to get one, I'll get one. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about here? It's hard. It's hard raising a perfect little person, you know what I mean? And like, it's so funny because she's like, well, if God wants me to get it. And, and so every time we try and dissuade her, well, if the Lord wants me to have it, and you're just like, all right. 
So finally, just this weekend, Maranatha goes, she has her wallet. She goes in, guess what happens? She doesn't get it. And so she says, I guess the Lord didn't want me to have it. So sure enough, go shopping, go to the checkout. And Maranatha and Lynn are standing there. I heard this story secondhand. I'm doing a good job with it though. And a guy walks up right behind them and says to Lynn, hey, um, I just won this in that little machine over there. Can I give it to your daughter? And Lynn says, sure. And Maranatha's face lights up and she's like, the Lord did want me to have it. <laughs> but what I loved, I, like everything about Maranatha's thing in this is so beautiful because it's not for her, it's for her sister. She wants to bless her little sister. And then if the Lord wants me to have it, I'm going to have it. I mean, don't you wish you were like that with the things you wanted? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm going to get the thing right now. And I got the price I want to get in. If I don't win it on eBay, I'm going to stalk that thing until I get it at my price, you know? It's not like if the Lord wants me to have it. It's like, but like Maranatha's like, well, just surrender to the Lord. And then she doesn't win. And she's like, I guess the Lord didn't want me to have it. She's like, totally chill. And then the thing shows up, the Lord did it. It's like, and I'm like, she gets it. Like, she should pass her crossroads. You know what I mean? Like, I love that girl for that reason, you know? But it's like, godliness is trusting, isn't it? God should be trusted. He's trustworthy. But oftentimes, a lot of the bad decisions we make are not because of God's faithlessness, but because of ours. We don't think that God will be good to his word, and so we start to scheme a little bit. We start to do this stuff. And so because all these things are going to be dissolved, we need to be who we should be. People who are holy. People who are inclined towards godliness. And when that happens in verse 12, it says that we look for and we hasten the coming of the day of God. Now, those are fascinating. So what it does is it creates an expectancy. Remember I said that we know that Jesus is coming back unexpectedly, but because we know he's coming back, we look forward to it. So we have an expectancy that, hey, at some point Jesus is coming back. And there's an excitement. You know, like when you order something from Amazon or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, day three, you know, you know, it's the third day and you're like running to the mailbox, that thing that you want, because you expect it, you know, it's coming. And if it doesn't come, you send them an email. I got Prime. You've got to reimburse me. I know how we all are, you know. But because you know it's coming, there's this expectancy. And you're excited about it. You know, if if you're up for a promotion or some of you with tax time, you know you're going to get a tax return check. And you get excited about that. We should have an expectancy for the return of the Lord because he's coming. But not only that, but when we live knowing that Jesus is going to come unexpectedly, but we have an expectancy that he will come back, It says that we hasten the coming of the day of God. Now, that is fascinating to me. Let me explain this to you and why. Because what it means is that when you and I simply respond to the finished work of Jesus and allow Jesus, by his spirit, to amend and adjust our ways so that our conduct becomes holy and we begin to take on those attributes of godliness, when we are there, now all of a sudden, the message of Jesus runs more freely into the world because we become clearer channels and witnesses to the Lord and more people come to Christ. Because the Bible says that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then Jesus will return. That's kind of intense, isn't it, when you think about it? That our ungodliness, our lack of 
holiness and godliness because we're not responding to Jesus, but we're doing our own thing even though we believe in Jesus, that is actually pushing back the soon return of Jesus. Because God wants not some of us, but all of us to be the vehicles through which the gospel enters the world. See, Jesus told his disciples that it was good that he goes away because the spirit of God will come. And when the spirit of God will come, he will indwell all of God's people. See, God doesn't just want like one or two of us to be vehicles for the gospel to run forth. He wants all of us to be. And that's why us responding to Jesus is so important because if we walk in the spirit with Jesus, people's lives are going to be impacted. All of us have people that we run into all the time at work, in your neighborhood. All of us live in different neighborhoods, different passions, different likes. But God wants all of us to be a touch point for his kingdom. And that hastens the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, this little section closes with, notice verse 13. It says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That word nevertheless, what does this teach us? It teaches us that yet there is hope. Yet there's hope. Because you might say to yourself, if all the heavens and all the earth, and if it's all going to be burned up with fire, it's all going to be dissolved, then why should we do anything? I mean, like, who cares? It's like, why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die, right? And we all know people like that, right? They've kind of just become like, well, if it's all going to go bad... Then who cares? But then it says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there is a hope for us, a hope of a new heaven and a new earth after this heaven and this earth dissolves up. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 1. It says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, Think about that, because this is important. How many of you think that when you die, you go to heaven? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you die, you go to heaven. But heaven is not your final abode, because according to the book of Revelation, the Bible, you go to heaven until Jesus comes back, and then he burns up this heaven and earth, and he establishes a new heavens and new earth, and then we live there. So you get to be on earth until you go to heaven, until you get to new heaven and new earth. You guys got that? Earth, then heaven, and then new earth. You guys got it? Good, I don't want to have any more mistakes before. Like, we like, you raise your hand, we're like, I don't know where we're going. See, the hope of the people of God is not only that we have to go to heaven when we die, but there's going to come a day when, when Jesus returns, all of God's saints collected in heaven, and all of the people who become believers before Jesus comes back on earth, when Jesus enters and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Jesus is. How often are you allowing God to set your priorities? It's nice to think that we're placing every part of our day before Him, but is that really the case? Is every real decision being filtered through His Word and His plans? Pastor Daniel encouraged us today to wait expectantly for Jesus' return, but also live godly, set apart lives while we wait. Our job right now is to show people a different way and share the hope we know. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver. Services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares the truths for life that we all need. This world is constantly pulling us away from the priorities of Jesus, swaying us with temporary pleasures and compromises. If we miss the core values of Christ, we'll be in danger of heading down the wrong path. Be sure to tune in next time to learn these truths of reality and how you can strengthen your walk with Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.